0: Radio 1, Berlin.
1: Welcome to the time travel show here at Radio 1, Berlin. And today we meet Ralph Harvey and myself in seafront Brighton, UK, many, many years ago for a legendary Radio 4A broadcast. Hello and welcome to Radio 4A, 101.4 FM. For the next hour, we have the test guard hour. And we're very pleased tonight to have as our very special guest, uh, Ralph Harvey, who I can say is Britain's leading pagan exorcist.
2: <laughs> is that, is that um, fair? I think, Frank, that's a little bit flattering. Ah, right. um, a, a leading exorcist, if you like. <laughs> leading Britain's leading exorcist.
1: And uh, what a fantastic night it is, as there's a massive full moon outside. What you might call the witching hour. Yeah, indeed, indeed. We're very close to the witching hour. Uh, It's 10 uh, o'clock, 10.05, I think. And what I'd like to sort of um, talk to you about first, Ralph, is your history. Right. So, um, can you tell me something about where you came from?
2: Where I came from? My mother's womb, in actual fact. (laughs) Now, I was born in Kensington, in London, in 1928, which now gives my age away, which makes me damn close on 75.
1: Right. And um, your parents, where
2: were they from? My parents, uh, they also were also born, born in England. Um, to be quite honest, I'm not quite certain. One was born, I know my father was born in Paddington. My mother, Eke, was born in Kensington. Right. Um, that's all really I can sort of say about that. Right. So. And what did they do? What did they do? Yeah. Uh, my mother, my father was a leading leather worker. He, made, he was a saddler by trade. Uh, he made saddles for Her Majesty the Queen, he made the Queen's handbags, all the Queen's luggage. Um, he was a very, very skilled leather worker, most beautiful craftsman in leather you'd ever seen. In fact, there was a magazine many years ago called Lilliput, uh, which ran a whole section just on his background and his life and some of the beautiful things he had created. Mm-hmm. He was regarded as one of the ten craftsmen in England. Um, one was a leather worker, one was a cricket bat maker. The other was Greener and Purdy, who made shotguns. Um, And the other was Greenheart, who made fishing rods. And he was listed in the top ten of artisans in this country. Right, and what sort of beliefs did uh, did your parents have? They were both, my father was quite a strict Christian, but not a fanatic by any means. Mm -hmm. My mother uh, was a Christian, but as the years go by, um, she definitely got less in a more, shall we say of Christianity when she used to read of terrible things and happenings around the world I many a time I remember her getting very angry saying God why do you let these things happen when we saw the massacre in very like in Armenia and things like that and she used to get really upset and, and I think that she started to doubt her own faith in the end but my, she was born a Christian she died a Christian and my father was born a Christian and was, my father was more fervent, but he was not um, one who rammed it down your throat. I wasn't, you yeah, I said to so, Sunday school when I was a child, but I never had Christianity rammed down upon me. Mm-hmm. So they were very fair, very fair.
1: Mm. So, um, and then you went into the army after, after school, presumably.
2: No, I weren't. I, I, first of all, I served at the Royal Veterinary College in London. Uh, that was during the war. Um, I worked for society also during the war, and it wasn't until 1947 when I was conscripted. and I didn't go into the army, I went into the RAF. Ah. And I served in Saudi Arabia, attached to the 4001st Armored Car Flight, which was, uh, which was inactive, in actual fact, the Aiden Protected Levers, RAF Regiment, and I was RAF attached to the RAF Regiment and the Aden Protected Livers.
1: Right. And um, what's, uh, how did you get involved in the occult in the first
2: place then? That started, I suppose, during the war years. Um, my first, I had always been terribly interested in hauntings, going to haunted places as a child, and being to my mother, don't go there, it's dangerous, you know, etc. Um, I think it was during the war when we were very, very short of food and I had a natural aptitude for hunting. And I used to supplement our larder in those days by going out originally with a catapult and eventually with a 410 shotgun. Mm. And I used to bring back bunnies, etc. with my mum. And we supplemented all for the neighbours. I would get me a rabbit tuna, get me a So I used to do this. Mm. And I found when I went into the woods that I had an instinct that I just knew where my quarry was. Mm. Um, I could come to Crest of Hill sometimes I'd go up the companion, and I'd say, two rabbits over there. He'd say, but there's nothing there. And I'd say, well... I just know there is. Yeah. And I was always right. And I realized I had this sort of extrasensory perception mm. that I could rather like a, an instinct in primitive man. Mm. And during the war years, I kept my, my the pot well-filled mm. for myself and local neighbors.
1: So uh, had you had experiences like this as a child? Then?
2: I had many experiences like this, but it wasn't until um, I think I, uh, well, I used to go around the gypsy encampment, which was an old Roman encampment, uh, down a place called Scars Lane in Tilehurst, there's the old Romans used to camp in the old days. Mm-hmm. That's going back in the mid 40s, about 42, 43, yeah. uh, before I was conscripted into the services. And the gypsies they are very, very uh, wary at first, I think, as well, from the outsider. And eventually they got to know me and to trust me, and they used to teach me to poach as well, mm-hmm. you know, how to poach, um, how to poach a rabbit with one hand high, I had two hands high, mm. and I learned a lot from them. Mm. Uh, all sorts of other skills, and herbalism as well. Mm. And uh, I was very, very interested in them. My mother, again, did not like me going near the gypsy encampment, but um, I was always in trouble. Mm. And I spent most of, my, most of my leisure time was spent studying nature uh, in the woodlands. I was a very, very keen naturalist.
1: So, had you um, had any experiences of haunted houses as a child then?
2: Yes, I had, but it was really and truly when I came out of the services that it really started. Mm-hmm. I'd had one that, I remember there was one again, um, unfortunately, I can't remember the location of it as the years go by. Um, I remember one that was um, a shop at the bottom of, of Ken- near Kentwood, Kentwood Estate. Uh, that was very, very badly haunted. And I remember th- going in there as a child and being frightened. Um, but th- there's a whole range of odd phenomena over many years. But it wasn't until I came out of the RAF in, in, when I was demobbed in 1949 that it really started in earnest. Mm.
1: Um, so when you were in the RAF, uh, was it the RAF? Or I was in the RAF, RAF yes. In the
2: RAF you got involved <laughs> in paganism this then... Uh, well, when I was in the RAF, I was actually, there was, a, there was an actual fact, a gypsy girl, by coincidence, not, nothing to do with the gypsies I'd known before. There was a gypsy girl who was also conscripted, because conscription mm-hmm. went right across uh, right across the whole, uh, range of people. And uh, I got very, very close to her during my training days, um, and for probably something like nine months before I was actually sent abroad, I was sent out to Saudi Arabia. And during that nine months, I mean, I found her fascinating, and it led me to a completely different outlook, I think, on religion as a whole. And I think in the RAF, I became more and more disillusioned with Christianity as time went on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were sometimes compulsory church parades, uh, where we really had, sometimes we had, regardless of our denomination, I think this will upset me, in regards of our denomination. We were told "Oh, we need 30 men for the service and you 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 and you and you just went mm. Didn't matter whether you were Jew or Gentile, mm. you know, you had to go mm. and uh, And we had one very obnoxious Catholic priest who really really was an obnoxious I can't say it on air, but it begins with B and it ends with D and I hate it
1: All right, uh, so um and you you were saying earlier that um uh, That you, you started your own sort of organisation?
2: In 1949 I was, I, was, uh, I was demobbed, and in 1950 um, I realised, that all the years, I, of the three years I was in nearly, that I really wanted to get out of the service. I was missing very much, strange mm-hmm. enough, the companionship, and uh, some after that I, I rejoined the Terriers. Mm-hmm. But in 1951, after the repeal of the Witchcraft Act, um, I had started studying ritual magic by then, and I was very very in, in, very, very, involved in that, but very very amateur at it, mm-hmm. very very amateur. I mean, I was a very very young man, then mm-hmm. in, in my 21 to 22 years old, mm-hmm. and I was studying, studying intently everything I could find on the subject. Um, I, yes, I, I say about there was the repeal of the Witchcraft Act, mm-hmm. and about a year I try to remember the exact dates now. but one year after, about 1952, um, I started a group called the Free Thinkers. And I was at that time with a lot of university students that said, Could you guys put your religion out of your mind? You know, um, Jeff, can you forget that you're a Muslim? You know, can you forget you're a Buddhist? Um, can you forget that you're Jewish? You know, can you forget your Presbyterian, that you're Church of England, you're Catholic, and really have a discussion and not be influenced by what you were in years gone by. And in other words, don't be influenced by what you were brought up as. And we decided we would clear our minds and we would evaluate every religion that we were taught um, constructively. So it's and could we do this for a whole year? Could we get fifty-two speakers? Over 52 weeks. And it was strangely much, much easier than we thought. We had Baptists, Anabaptists, Brethren, Exclusive Brethren, Plymouth Brethren, Jehovah's Witnesses, Presbyterians, you know, it, um, it, it was just to made four square gospelers. We had Jewish, we had modern, we had Buddhists. Mm-hmm. It was surprisingly easy we had zoroastrians shintoists from, China, from japan they all lectured and each one would expound as to why they were right and all the other religions were wrong and at the end of each meeting we used to listen to the priest or were lecturing very very carefully and they were very very convincing in their arguments and at the end of the evening we would all take a vote and nine times out of ten the majority of all votes say, hallelujah, we're all Baptists, until we listen to the Presbyterian, which came said, next week, hallelujah, we're all, we're all Presbyterians, until we listen to the Church of England, and so it went on, we're all Jewish, you know, um, and eventually, there was, I always remember one very amusing incident, that it was when I think we had the Jewish rabbi, the Jewish rabbi came along, and one of the questions we put to him was, why do we need a mediator to get to God? You can only get, get to get to, to God through Christ, you see. And the Jews said, Nonsense, you don't need a mediator at all. You go straight to Jehovah, we do not have an intermediary. Mm-hmm. And this made a lot of sense for us. And I think at the end of that meeting we said, hallelujah, we're all we're all you know, going to be, we're all Jewish now. Yeah. And then the following week I think we had the Muslim. Mm-hmm. And he said, No, 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 the, 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 the rabbi has got it completely wrong. You do need a mediator. Mm-hmm. But where you're going wrong. It's going to be, to, you've got to be through Muhammad to Allah. <laughs> well, you can imagine this went on for month after month after month. At the end of it, quite honestly, we ended up as religious schizophrenics. Right. So everything was very, very convincing. So we, we didn't, I didn't follow the path that I eventually took just haphazardly. Mm. And at the end of it, there was only two faiths that made any sense to me. One was the Baha'i faith which I found was a very, very beautiful faith, and I liked it very much indeed. I never, ever met a bad Baha'i. Every Baha'i practiced what they preached. They were lovely people, and I was very, very impressed with them. What is the Baha'i faith? The Baha'i faith is, um, it's a study of, of Baha'u'llah, a man who was called the Bab. They believe in progressive revelation that, that the send people into the earth every so many years that after christ came Muhammad, after that came you know as our astra et etc in other words it was progressation and then in the 1920s that he's supposed to El Bab or baha'u'llah and we liked it but there was one or two aspects that didn't wasn't quite for me and i think by that time there was a lot of talk of the renaissance of paganism and witchcraft and the old religion the study of all things beautiful in nature and that i think is what hooked me and set me on the pagan path. Mm. So what is paganism? How would you describe it?: Paganism, I say, basically, is really a love of beauty, of nature, mm. the reverence of womanhood, mm. uh, the acknowledgment of the earth, mother, the we recognize that the, both God and goddess, I mean, work in conjunction with each other. There's mm. a polarity between the sexes. Mm. But I think it is a, a, a beautiful religion of all things green, everything that is pagan that mm. is all things green and associated with nature. Mm. And I think that was the great detract on because now, going back from the 1950s, what, 50 years on, mm. uh, with ecology and, and the green movement, of course, uh, it, our religion's coming to its own. Mm.
1: Mm. So, um, what's the difference? How, would you say that that was uh, involved with witchcraft? Then?
2: No, no, all, all witches are pagans, uh-huh. but not all pagans are witches. Ah, right. <laughs> so,
1: can you can you explain what, what is witchcraft?
2: Witchcraft is where is where you adhere strictly to the old ways. You have there are tenants of the of the Wiccan faith, as we call it, uh, sometimes known as the Hidden Children of the Goddess. Witches are, are again are pagans who vave strictly in nature. They follow all the actual paths of nature. They worship essentially a goddess, the seasons of the year, the passing of the seasons. And womanhood, as as far as the Earth Mother is, is the central figure in the form of credo. Uh, the god is the Lord Carnalos, who, is, of course, is the original horned god, who was later late deified by the by the uh, Christians and identified as the devil. Because mm-hmm. one thing I'd like to emphasise is mm-hmm. that witches do not believe in the devil. We're always accused of it. We do not believe in the existence of the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, We're fully aware of the existence of evil in the world, mm-hmm. but to be personified in a humanoid form with Forked tail and and horns, the answer is no. Right, right. (laughs) So, what is uh,
1: so there is no devil, as far as you can see. There is no devil, no. Right. The
2: devil, the devil is an invention of the Christian Church, uh-huh. um, invented to keep Christians in line. And for hundreds of years, probably right up to the turn of the 18th, of the nineteenth century, mm-hmm. it really did work. If you don't do as you're told, the devil will get you. Only the Church can save you. It was a big stick that they kept the populace and the peasantry in line with. Mm-hmm. And people really were afraid of going to hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, now in a more enlightened age, I mean, we are no longer afraid of that, mm-hmm. but the devil was a very, very real entity to, to the early Christians.
1: Mm. So, um, how would you define what the occult was?
2: Well, the very word occult means uh, secret or the esoteric. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, it's the, the, beyond the expanse of ordinary knowledge is the word, literally, the meaning of the word occult. It's the It's the unknown. The occult of that as in in the more literal sense shall we say now is the study of all things of the esoteric um, things to do with the unknown Spiritual ethereal etc. That is the the occult. It is the it is the study of unknown forces Right
1: and exorcism comes under that under
2: that banner. Exorcism, yes I think you could say exorcism came under that
1: banner. Mm. So how did you first um, get involved in exorcism?
2: My first uh, study that I think was for studying my say from my early days before entering the craft when I studied ritual magic, and I was very, very into the magic of Abraham in the Maj, as, as it was known. I studied the works of Edir and uh, in fact I studied a lot of the great masters there, and I think it was uh, the Maj actually who led me into rituals that eventually started me as an exorcist. Mm-hmm. Although, 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 I'd like to clarify one thing. Although over the years I have gained a reputation as an exorcist, Mm -hmm. um, I only use exorcism as a very, very last resort. Mm -hmm. When I am called to a manifestation that outwardly, shall we say, outwardly is evil, Mm -hmm. I would much sooner try to communicate with the entity behind the manifestation Mm -hmm. and see if there is a reason behind it and only if I found it is inherently evil. Mm -hmm. Why well, then don't perform an exorcism, I find with a large percentage of cases that you've, you're probably ending up with an earthbound spirit. Sometimes they don't even realize they're dead. Mm-hmm. They are not evil. They can be mischievous. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be mischievous. They're not harmful. No, none of them are harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it is something inherently evil, which I have come across, then that is when it's like bell, book, and candle time right. Right, for exorcism. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, what's bell, book, and candle, then?
2: Oh, there's a Christian, uh, that's a Christian expression. Uh, uh, right. They used to go in with a Bible, a bell, and a candle, uh, and cast the devil out. Right. And I mean, the number of times I can tell you over the years, Adrian, mm. that I have been called in to clear up after Christians have gone with bell, book, and candle, mm. and failed, mm. and then they say, well, send for Ralph. <laughs> right, right, wow. Well. So you're quite famous then, isn't it? Among no, 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 not famous. Not right. famous, certainly not. Uh-huh. So, well, well, well known, shall we say. Well known, right, yeah. <laughs> so
1: your first, do you remember your first exorcism that you performed?
2: No, to be quite honest, no I don't. It's, so many, many. Many, so many, many, years Well, a, years. No,
1: a notable exorcism
2: then. A notable one? Mm. The, strange enough, my most notable ones have all, although I liked, have travelled the length and breadth of England, I've mm. done them abroad as well. My most notable one, strange enough, has been in Sussex. Yeah. And there's one I used to call the Sussex Triangle, that which spread from Lansing to Sompting to Shoreham. And some of the most notable ones all took place within that triangle. Um, the one of the worst ones I ever, ever had, and was amazing, one actually took place in Shoreham many, many years ago. Something, one was a particularly evil one that is far too complex to go into. Mm-hmm. But I'll, if you like, I'll recount one too if mm-hmm. you wish. Um, I was living at home at the time and I was called, I received a phone call and I was not at all a happy bunny being dragged out of bed about two o'clock in the morning from a gentleman who was known to me quite well, inasmuch as my son. Uh, was working with him and was a lodger in his house. So I knew that if my if my son was there and, and he had and this gentleman, Vernon, um, his name was Vernon, had called me, then I knew that this was a genuine sort of poltergeist activity, <laughs> um, as it seemed outwardly. And they said that there were things happening around the house, things were being thrown around. And I said, okay, but I can't come immediately. I've got to prepare holy water. There's a number of things I have to do before I can come. And I said, but I will be there as quickly as I can. Now, when you're analyzing psychic phenomena, of course, you can never rule out coincidence. But sometimes coincidence goes beyond the realms of possibility. You know, and you have to say, there's got to be an occult or malign influence here. On this particular occasion, um, I jumped into my car, putting a, putting a board, ritual swords, remember, mm-hmm. everything, everything that is the paraphernalia, which is quite large with swords and, and, and stangs, which is like large, large um, staffs, staves, and off I went down, straight away down to Hove Seafront. I got onto Hove Seafront, turned right and bang, car just packed in, and my um, brake cable had snapped. Wow. I've never known a brake cable snap. Cab drift if you like, but never snap. And I just drifted to the side of the road, and there I am stuck on this week, this exorcism. But fortunately, the sea front at home is uh, there's plenty of taxis backwards and forwards, and um, we didn't have mobile phones in those days. So anyway, along came a taxi, and I hailed him. He said, What's wrong, mate? I told him I was trying to get through to Shoreham. So we put all, all my apparatus into the car. And he have got some very strange looks from this taxi driver. And we set off. Well, we hadn't gone a half a mile to the bottom of, I think it was Boundary Road. There was a public house there. Always remember it called the halfway house. And we got to the halfway house and bang, taxi came to a standstill and came to the side of the road and stopped. Got out his cable, his, his brake cable had snapped. And it looks like, I apologize if I'm wrong, accelerator cable. No. The accelerator cable, it, it was my accelerator, not not break. accelerator cable and snap, and his accelerator cable snapped. By now, he's now a bit of a worried bunny himself. He said, this is you know, bloody unusual to say the least. Mm. So anyway, he'd been on radio mics, he called up another taxi, and there was a bit of a hushed conversation, sort of, got an odd ball here, you know. His, his, uh, his, uh, accelerator cable snapped and mine's bloody well snapped as well. Excuse me, swearing, over the over the air. Uh, this is radio 4. <laughs> we can say anything on radio right? <laughs> have Total control of the airwaves. <laughs> and anyway, um, anyway long taxi came and we put everything into his boot and loaded it for the back seat. And we uh, we a bit quiet and we went off. But we got outside of Shorm to just a place called the Lighthouse. And just as we're approaching this light, the lighthouse, which is on the left-hand side, uh, facing the St. Shoreham, bang, mm. his accelerator cable snapped. Wow. Now, three in a row, mm. they now have got very, very superstitious. Mm. The next thing is now I'm unceremoniously dumped by the side of the road mm. with all my, all my apparatus. Mm. I still have a good mile and a half to go into Shoreham High Street, probably go two miles to go. Um, and there I am, and this taxi is also stranded. Well, about ten minutes later, another taxi comes along, hooks a tow rope up to the other taxi, and takes him off. And I said, you know, will you send another taxi for me? And he said, I don't think anybody would come out, mate. He said, you know, the airways are humming about you. He said, I don't think you're going to get a taxi. And I said, well, no, just my right to the taxi. He said, well, we're better but nobody will come. So. Being a busy thoroughfare, they went off. I was very, very unhappy over this. Taxes came, they slowed up. We've heard about you and off the accelerator. Mm-hmm. Well, after a while, the taxi came down, tried to flag the again, and it slowed down. I said, well, oh, thank you very much, I'm not picking you up. He said, I'm not picking you up. He said, we've got a fellow, he said, who's a taxi driver, Jehovah's Witness. And he's not afraid of anything. He says, he'll pick you up. Okay. So I said, thank you very much. So. A few minutes later, along came this taxi with a man who I would never forget until my dying day. He was about five foot high, about five foot wide. He was the shortest, fattest little man uh, I'd ever seen. Delightful fellow. And he said to me, he said, I do not know what you know, trouble you have tonight, he said. But he said, if it is to do with the devil, he said, with God on my side and Christ as my savior, we will combat this together. So I said, thank you very much. I'll take all the help I can get on this one. So with that, we put everything into this taxi and nothing further happened. Well, we pulled up, we pulled up with this road in 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 the Shoreham, And as I got out, to started unloading all of my stuff. This taxi driver jumped out of the cab and he had the most enormous bible I'd ever seen. It was one of these tomes with leather things that was the family, you know, the great leather ones you've probably seen them mm. about hundred years old or more. Great Victorian thing, all the births and deaths of the family and and he opens it at a certain section there. And he puts his hand on the dashboard and he pulls out this enormous crucifix, which was I always remember it was an ebony with silver edges to it and a silver Christ on it. And this very large one, about a foot high, and this book cradled across his arm. He goes into the house, there's crowds of people in the street, everything, and there's thumbs and bang, and was like What's going on in there? So along he comes the Along goes this priest. He goes there, you know, I van I event to cast out the, the name of the Lord Jesus. Etc. He goes and, and there was one almighty smash. And a chest of drawers came straight down the stairs at him, mm. hit the banister, mm. split into a thousand pieces. Mm. The last we saw of him was running up the path, opened the taxi door, threw the spike in, <laughs> threw the shit crossing, him, jumped in and shot him like the very devil was after him, and we never saw him again. Well, uh... <laughs> And we spent all that night uh, on that exorcism and failed. Right. And we had to go round back there for two days in a row before we actually subdued it. Right. It was a very bad manifestation. Yeah. But it was always memorable to me, I think, over the taxi drive that was going to help yeah. and seeing him suddenly.
1: So how do you subdue a spirit or a ghost?
2: you have to every every haunting every every manifestation mm. is different ah. i mean if the worst ones you can you can use holy water mm. and slowly drive them back towards a specific entrance mm. you can actually incarcerate them you can imprison them mm. you can then put salt salt out. out, i don't want to go to details over mm. radio in case anybody tries to have to do it yourself ah. kind of job mm. uh, we have consecrated tools consecrated swords mm. Uh, which, are, which have been power, power charged. Mm-hmm. We have certain other ritual implements which are power charged. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically then you have to make barriers of salt, mm-hmm. uh, holy water, which we create holy water ourselves mm-hmm. with our own specific work on ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Holy World's created, and you spring, and eventually you, you drive the entity toward a sexual, by which you think you can banish it into what we call the ether, oh. or send it back from whence it came. Mm-hmm. But each case is different, there is no set routine, you have to judge each one uh, accordingly. So you think there's no, there's not a logical sort of um, uh, apparition? Oh, no, no, you see, there are different types of apparition. Yeah. Poltergeists are nothing more than balls of energy. Mm. Um, They are just the energy, throw things around, make a lot of noise, tremendous Mm fracas. But they're they're not usually sort of spirit forces, they're an energy force. And you will always find that when you have um, a podcast activity, there is always a child going through the pangs of puberty, an 11-year-old girl, um, with an 11-year-old boy prepubescence. Mm -hmm. It's always associated, there's one you can always say, is this a genuine one? You've got to look for an undeveloped mind. Mm. And if you find the undeveloped mind or an undeveloped body of a child, that is where the, the harness is upon that child, mm. usually between the ages of 10 to 12. Mm. Do you find that quite often? Though? Quite often. Every, no, not too often, every time. Every time. It's an absolute infallible rule yeah. for poltergeists. Ah. Um, as far as, this, as as ordinary hauntings mm. and spirits are concerned, they are disembodied spirits. Mm. Um, who are earthbound, Mm. sometimes they make it quite clear we don't want to pass over, we don't want to go on. Mm. If they do want to go on, then we will help them over to the other side. Mm. But many, many times they're quite happy to remain on earth and have probably made themselves not exactly a nuisance of themselves. Mm. They've attached themselves to a house because you get an example, a dear old lady, she's born into a house her mother, dies, she inherits the house, mm-hmm. she gets married, her husband left, and she dies at the age of 98, and she spent her entire life in a little cottage mm-hmm. or a little terrace, and when she passes over, she mm-hmm. doesn't want leave that little cottage, mm-hmm. then she suddenly realises, new comes, in comes a young couple, mm-hmm. and they put different decor, they ripped her lovely stove up that she loved, mm-hmm. this wooden, filed one, mm-hmm. they put a new range on, mm-hmm. they've decorated it in colours she doesn't like, mm-hmm. and she gets to resentful. These are people truth is in my house, mm. and she makes it felt. But she's not harmful. Mm. Eventually, you placate her, and the only time to 10 you just get the couple to live with it mm. and accept her. And if, but if you get people very scary, who mm. really hate manifestations. Mm. It's a different ball game. Right. right. But um, then you'd have to try and persuade them to pass on from that point. Mm, mm. So, have you?
1: What's the most um, sort of? Uh, scary sort of um, exorcism you've
2: ever done? Well, I think, quite honestly, I say the short one was, oh. was one of the scariest ones mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. The worst one I ever had was at something. That is so complex, you go into details, it would take ages. Ah, but okay. there was a, the worst one I think I ever, ever experienced was at something. Mm. And that was pure evil there. Mm-hmm. But uh, most of them are fairly straightforward. Yeah. It's very rare. Mind you, something is a, is one of the few areas where black magic is practiced as well mm. in Sussex. Oh. We find there's there's a lot of talk of black magic and nine out times out of ten mm. it's completely and utterly false. Mm. It's just people playing with their cult and playing wrongly. Mm. But there was there was always been one groups in the something area who have been evil mm. and there's been a great deal of phenomena has centered around that particular location. Mm.
1: So, so you're saying that places that that are um, where people
2: have practice sort of um, sort of ritual have lectures. like a dark emanation ah. around that area. Ah. Yes, is we that have an energy this. then? Is it's it, an is, energy, energy. it is, yeah, it is a latent energy that adheres to that, right? I mean, there's an area in something which I mean is bound in but you might say that you could say the ground is soaked in blood there's a small section there where I think that the Romans massacred the Celts and then uh, prisoners were their the Danes raided it and burned it and slaughtered everybody and the Vikings slaughtered it you know it's got a bad history of bad vibrations all around it. Mm-hmm.
1: so if you have you actually seen the ghost
2: so see, we seen more than one yesterday, uh, many of the others. Uh, right,
1: and what I mean, what do they
2: look like? Strangely enough, the average ghost that I the average was used the word ghost in mm. a light-hearted mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. Um, probably looks quite ordinary. It's not a see through character or somebody walking along with its head tucked underneath its arm. No. They often appear as quite ordinary people, mm-hmm. quite ordinary people. Mm-hmm. But we had the experience only a few weeks ago mm-hmm. coming back from crawling Down, mm-hmm. and we passed a man standing by the side of the road gray man and as I passed him I just instinctively knew he was a ghost and my wife says it's a bad habit I have a giving hitchhikers a lift and it looked like the man wanted a lift mm-hmm. and I and uh, I didn't slow down I drove straight on my wife said thank God that I thought you were gonna pick him up mm-hmm. she said there was something about that she said was that a ghost
0: mm-hmm.
2: I said absolutely certain that it was mm-hmm. a ghost mm-hmm. well in the Fort New uh, Fort Union, military display team I belong to, um, one of the, the soldiers on the team, in actual fact, um, lives in that area, and I mentioned to him in passing. He said, "Oh no," he said, "that's a well-known phenomenon." He stands there. He said, "Most people boycott at night time, mm. so we then knew it was a manifestation." Mm. But they quite often look like quite ordinary people. Mm. There's none of this ghosty stuff jumping out and taking boot and things like that. Mm. It doesn't happen.
1: Mm. With, with um, uh, Ouija boards, um, is that the way that people um, sort of end up manifesting? I'd like or? to
2: take this, this broadcast as a platform mm. to say, for God's sake, whatever you do, mm. do not ever touch a Ouija board. A Ouija board is one of the few things that will conjure up an evil entity. Mm. It can appear to you as something very very benign, mm. be very friendly, you a lot of good information mm. and we let's wait into they are very very dangerous mm. I cannot emphasize the dangers of the Ouija board mm. do not touch them mm. we've all burned our fingers with them mm. in a learning curve when I was a young man mm. do not touch them ah. I would like to emphasize if you want to out evil entities that will influence you and influence your life mm. then touch a Ouija board right right they are they are inherently evil mm. So,
1: have you had experiences of um, Ouija boards when you
2: were younger? Lots of times when I've been called into manifestations, mm-hmm. it's all started with somebody playing with a Ouija board. Mm-hmm. I cannot emphasize it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and how does it affect people then? Usually by giving false information. Mm-hmm. They start off and they will tell you things that are probably only known to yourself and your parents and your immediate family. And then they will start sort of feeding you information. I mean, let's take hypothetical case and saying, you know your brother's having an affair with your wife, you know, and, you, and things like this, mm. and start sowing evil into a person's head. Uh, they cause disruption, they cause mayhem. Mm. Do not listen to water. Anything spells out. Mm. And a lot of stuff also uh, on Ouija boards is nothing more than some particularly twisted person mm. pushing the glass around. Mm. But if you get the glass raised up by itself and moves around, mm. you have actually brought something into the house. Mm. If you're touching it, if you're touching a glass on a Ouija board, then the whole process is suspect. Mm. But if you, you see the glass raises up and starts going without any physical activity, nobody's touching it, mm. you have conjured something mm. and now you have trouble. Ah.
1: So, you've, in your um, experience as an exorcist, you've seen objects actually lifting off the ground and moving. Oh yes, I mean
2: one of my studies, in actual fact, I mean I think the three studies I did was particularly telepathy, teleportation, and telekinesis. Mm-hmm. And telekinetic um, manifestation by mind power moving things is part of the study also of ritual magic. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly when you find that force is unleashed. Mm-hmm. When the force is unleashed, then things will move of their own accord, mm. often mm. long after you've ceased the actual ritual, mm. you'll find things where people, in, in ritual magic, if it's not grounded, mm. the, the energy is still in the air and things will still move around.
1: Right, right. Have you ever been sort of followed by a spirit that you've actually tried exercising from a No,
2: a no nothing like that. No. No. The only spirit I think we've ever had, sort of a tragic stuff for us, was when we lived in Reading. And we had a very benign benign presence Mm. that absolutely adored children. Mm. And when we moved house, it came with us. Mm. And everywhere we came, it attached itself to us. Mm. But it's very, very benign. Mm.
1: Mm. Um, How do you view the process of death? And what do you think happens?
2: The process of death, I mean, well, I suppose until one dies, one cannot really guarantee exactly what the process of death is. Mm. We, we know very much about the tunnel effect, that death is very much like unto birth, mm. going to a tunnel until you emerge the other side. And it's what we call entering that into the summerlands. But we have found that immediately after death, depending on the method of death, if a person has a violent or terrible death, say a person dies in a concentration camp, mm they go into like a convalescent period mm. before they enter into the summer or what the christians might call their heaven mm. as such but this is a period of which you stay there um for a period of time mm. it could be anything until you're reincarnated it could be anything from anything one to 20 years mm. very rarely goes much beyond 18 years before that person is reincarnated back into society when they go, in, if you can imagine a difficult death is the same as a difficult birth. So a baby is born, it has difficulties, it goes into an incubator. The baby can be in that incubator for 8, 9, 10 days before it is now passed into this world, the son, to the mother. The same as with death, a very difficult death, you go through an incubatory period, and you are made whole before you pass on from there. So you have no fear of death? And no fear at all. all, right. No, in fact, I think to me, it is the final adventure. Mm,
0: mm.
1: Do you think that um, uh, when you die, you're, you're greeted by anybody? Or...
2: I can't tell you that, I don't know. No, it's <laughs> I'll tell you what I'll do, though. I'll try and communicate with you when I do pass this well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Um, may, maybe if you make it during the day rather than at night, because I tend to get more scared at night. I see That's <laughs> what I can do. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so, you believe in reincarnation then? Yes, I do, in fact, I think mean, on a serious note, I do believe that there are helpers that come to greet people, um, that people somebody you've known. Mm-hmm. And from what literature we remember, you see, as Wiccans, mm-hmm. we're not allowed to communicate with the dead. Mm-hmm. This is against our ways. Ah, right. But we're only allowed on one day a year mm. in which we can invite the dead. That is on the Hanuman Sabbath, ah. which these Christians call Halloween. Ah. Um, on that Sabbath, of course, then we can invite the dead to return mm. and to receive messages. But we do not raise the dead, we do not invoke them, it's not, we don't believe in We're not spiritualists mm. talking to the dead. So
1: have you ever had a regression? sort of seeing what what you were who you were in
2: a past. Oh, regression I mean it's one of our what we call our fun evenings ah, when we get people trying yeah. to try and go back into what they've been in the past Right. So um, what kind do you know what lives you had before? Yes I've gone into I've had some some lives which have been inexplicable mm-hmm. because you see when you do a regression you land yourself in a particular period mm-hmm. uh, only for a matter of a few minutes perhaps in that period, and you cannot always identify Mm. exactly where you are or what you were. Mm. I remember one particular aggression when I remember being in a boat with people in a very, very bad condition, a long long boat, Mm. um, and people were in a terrible, terrible state and we were drifting towards land and I was very, very weak and I suddenly realised as we saw the land coming up that we had sort of made it to safety, it was a very explicit part of my life, um, but I do not know where it was. Mm-hmm. All I know it was a boat and it was at sea. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, when on a previous death in 1907, mm-hmm. I was reborn in 1928, which gives roughly the mm-hmm. reincarnatory period, mm-hmm. and that was killed at the Crystal Palace in London. I am mm-hmm. still in here in a train crash. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that the people that you meet in life are
1: connected with people from past lives? Oh yes.
2: You'll find that life—it's on air. You cannot um, on air. You cannot um, because you need to demonstrate it by sort of with a paper and pen. Mm. So, it's very very difficult to do that. Mm. Um, if you can imagine, you're the centre of a circle. Mm. You're the centre of a circle, um, and all around you are other circles. In other words, you have a circle. Around you, um, and uh, your wife has one around her. Can you suit in my moment I've just got a thick throat? I won't no, be a no moment.
1: <laughs> You're listening to Radio 4A 101.4 FM. Uh, if you want to visit us on the web, uh, it's www.radio4a.org.uk, and tonight we're listening to Ralph Harvey, Britain's leading pagan exorcist. Um, this is Tescard, and if you want to visit the Tescard website, it's wwwradio testcard.org or email us at testcard at rocketmail.com and we're just going to continue for the next um quarter for now with with ralph right sorry <coughs> clear my throat now <laughs> <laughs> okay so we were talking about um uh well kind of regressions and um past lives um so, as, as far as um, uh, regressions are concerned, how is it possible to get someone to sort of see a past life?
2: Well, there are, there are a number of methods. The methods that is particularly favoured by the coven is what we call the Krishnas method, mm. by which there is massaging what we call the third eye. It's done by gentle massaging of the ankles mm. until the person is put into a semi-hypnotic state. Mm. Uh, then you have to literally lift the body, the, the soul force, out of the body mm-hmm. and raise them up until so we say the soul force is on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Turn them around, they can look down and actually see their body laying on the ground. Yeah. At that point, we'll probably test them mm-hmm. by sending them somewhere with a, con- with a degree of control. Might say, well, Will you go down the road mm-hmm. and will you look at the house with the green gate? and go up to the front door and tell them what you see, and they say the one with the window is cracked, and you know mm-hmm. they have that, yeah. you can send them down further, and they will describe things to you, and then you have control, you send them up into space, mm-hmm. and then when they have reached a certain apex, they are brought down, and they come down to a point in time, mm-hmm. and then they have to describe. I think that the when you have a, and I call what I say is true regression, mm-hmm. nine out of ten people are appalled to find the situations they find themselves in. Mm. We find girls who suddenly realize that their hair isn't pearled, mm. that they go to wash and they have no soap. Mm. There is no electric lights. Mm. They probably find, um, you know, an oil lamp mm. or just a, an ordinary lamp lit with, um, say, tallow and fat mm. or candles only. They realize their fingernails are broken. They're not manicured. Mm -hmm. Um, They're unkempt. Mm -hmm. They find they work in the field They they haven't got proper shoes Mm -hmm. and I think women react particularly. Oh my god, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, what awful Sort of way of life it was Mm -hmm. so used to switching lights on when you go in Mm -hmm. having having Toilets is an example mm. having washing facilities with warm water to the touch mm. and find themselves a in a primitive kitchen mm. Scouring out old clay pots with a handful <laughs> of stirred and cold water mm. Cleaning things mm. then you know you have a regression yeah. and then you don't find that you say I was the Queen of Sheba or you know I was William in the previous life mm. Mm. Uh, You suddenly find that you were very low-born peasant type and the chances of you being Highborne or something notable in history, mm. um, worlds well, of schizophrenics, I'm afraid, to just imagination. Mm. So, as, um, as far as,
1: uh, if, if we go back to sort of ritual, talking about ritual magic, what, how do you define ritual magic?
2: Well, ritual magic, I mean, has to be very, very specific and exacting mm. geometrically, mm. as against Wiccan, in which the the whole basis of witchcraft and of Wiccan magic is that the intent Is all-important. So in other words, if I make a mistake in ritual, provided the intent is clear, it doesn't matter. If somebody misses the word out, puts a wrong word in wrongly, if the circle is not, I won't give the dimensions of a circle, if the circle is three inches too big or three inches too small, it doesn't matter, the intent is there. If the ritual is conducted and the, and the, the banishing of evil from the court, quarters is done and somebody forgets a little, a little banishing ceremony or forgets certain word, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, the intent is there. Mm-hmm. With ritual magic, it has got to be absolutely geometrically correct. The circle must be made to exactly 360 degrees. Every triangle, every has got to be geometrically. It is a work of art to create a ritual magic circle. Mm-hmm. And it has got to be a literally exact to the nth degree, or you're going to, in fact, trouble. Wow. That is why I no longer practice ritual magic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: So what, what kind of magic do you practice now? Uh,
2: ma- magic, in my nowadays, is basic for healing. Uh-huh. Most of the coven's work is healing and helping people. Mm-hmm. In fact, the whole basis, really, of witchcraft is complete and opposite of the awful p- bad publicity and Christian press that gives us. Mm-hmm. Um, for everything that we do good, They say we're good evil. Mm. Um, And it's just such a false premise. Mm. I mean, when they try to back it up and say, oh, but we've got confessions from, you know, Isabel Gordy, who confessed this in 1688 or something, Mm. yes, of course she did. Mm. You know, after a couple of red-hot irons put on her breast and Mm. and pull her on the rack until every bone in the body is dislocated, Mm. she'll tell you anything you want to Mm. hear. Mm. I mean, one of the most notable and terrible cases, I think, was... There was a very, very famous French torturer by the name of Sanson, mm. and he would guarantee whatever he wanted the victim to say, mm. he guaranteed they would say it. Mm. And one of his proud boasts was that such was the excruciating art that he had achieved. He once said, Give me the Pope himself in my chambers mm. for about the space of an afternoon. But I swear before God that the Pope himself. Would confess to being a witch. Right. Well, wow. yeah, that is frightening. That is very. That surprising. is frightening. Mm. And everything that is alleged against witchcraft mm. has been exhorted by torture and excruciating pain.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: And there's no, there was no semblance whatsoever, no truth whatsoever, in all these confessions, um, which were never freely given. Mm. So, um,
1: after all, all your. Um uh, sort of that, that you have done. It's, it seems that you've become quite um, uh, notorious, uh, if that's the right word. Maybe it's not. <laughs> Probably not the right word. <laughs> but um, uh, I, you mentioned that um, that uh, a, a certain Japanese uh, TV channel. Oh, Kobo, Kobo TV. You. Yes, the
2: equivalent of um, mm. yes. Uh, that, that's quite an experience, actually, mm. in its own way. Yeah, that's like Japanese BBC. Mm. Um, phoned up and said they'd like to do an interview and sent the camera team over to interview me. They were going to do a tour of Mistress of Britain and they wanted a specific program to evolve around me. And I will never forget it, the opening uh, sequence when they first came in. They looked at it and their very lilting Japanese voice said, Ah, we come here quick, quick, you know. Santos, um, him dead. Doreen Valiente, she did. Gardner, him dead. You last old one we come quick, get a of you, are you still alive? <laughs> uh, no. So they came to your house? They came to my house, It was in fact it was very very funny, mm. because I was expecting like a usual thing I do with uh, television, two-man, three-man crew, mm. you know, sound, sound boom, you know, and uh, a mm. camera, and an interviewer, no more than four-man, and suddenly he looked out and there was three car dudes and, and coming up there the whole of the clothes in mm. In Shoreham was full mm. of television men and mm. television cameras laying down cables mm. and it was the full the full look mm. mm. So they they came to your house then they, they came to the house and oh, right. um, it was great because they brought over a very famous Japanese actress yeah. who was a serious actress mm. whose name I afraid like cannot remember, she beautiful name like Tani, you know something like this, mm-hmm. and I remember they name, they used to call her Michael or Makio, and um, I didn't, and I wasn't pronouncing it correct, mm-hmm. and they filmed her on the street approaching the house, and we had a very, very excellent gentleman who spoke fluent Japanese and English, who had been brought in by them, and I was on the street, actually, watching them going up to my own house. I mean, she's supposed to be coming to see me, and I, I was interested in what they were doing, I was mm. saying to them, what's translating what they're saying. Mm. And he's always said, they're saying, oh, this is Maki?" Or you know. She is now approaching the house of a famous British witch. She gets the door, her finger goes out to the, to the doorbell. Will she push it? She hesitates. She drops her hand, but no. She does She rings the bell. Of course, actually, they cut the camera, you see. And, of course, um... Then I have to go in the house, and open the door to him, of course inside my hallway, I've got a suit of armor. Mm-hmm. And, and they said, "Well, don't show yourself as." So we got the first opening shot on the suit of armor. So I opened the door, I opened the door, and then I could only hear these Japanese wording, and apparently said afterwards, "Ah, is it the witch in a suit of armor?" She jumps back and she jumps back in sort of pseudo-fear, you see. Mm-hmm. Ah no." It is all set of armour. Mm. Now the witch appears, of course, I come to the door. It was quite hilarious. The, uh, it was it a was completely different type of documentary mm. to what we're accustomed to mm. in England. Mm. It was quite hilarious. Mm. So,
1: and you were saying that um, you've just completed a, a book, your latest book.
2: Yes, I have indeed. And what that? It's called Witchcraft in Sussex. Right. In fact, I have three publishers at the moment. I haven't decided which one to run with at the moment, mm-hmm. but I have, a, I have a new book, Witchcraft in Sussex, mm-hmm. in which I recorded a lot of anecdotes of over 50 years mm-hmm. of experience in witchcraft, mm-hmm. and also put down old practices that are dying out, little things in the craft and becoming forgotten. Mm-hmm. Some of the law that's associated with trees which be forgotten, like Justice was always meted out in Sussex. You couldn't hold a court, outdoor court, unless you held it under an elder tree. Mm. And everybody had to hold, hold a leaf of the elder in their hand. Mm. Things like this, which is becoming history. Mm. Um, going out to places like Dutchling and looking into old rituals where Jacob's Post, where the old gallows was stripped away and every peace body had a piece of a post. And they believed it was... a. A, a wonderful curative values against scrofula and the king's evil, as it was called. Practice there when Jacob the pecker was hanged there, where women would come and hold the hand of the dead man to for fertility, that they may have a baby. Mm. Um, these things are becoming forgotten. Mm. Um, nothing to do with witchcraft, but a lot of old Sussex law mm. and history, which I have accumulated over, say, 50 years, mm. and I'm now being 75, mm. um, and it's not written down. Mm. And sometimes we find at coven meetings somebody, somebody brings something up saying, good God, yes I remember the, the old days in the old covens, we always had a great big apple mm. that was brought in and the apple was split up and it was given a name and a piece was buried in the earth and all the covenant section of this apple. Um, these are forgotten they're not practiced anymore Mm -hmm. and I want to make sure they are recorded in my lifetime Mm -hmm. and this is what is in the new book witchcraft in Sussex Mm -hmm. although it does also deal with old practices it has the history of witchcraft in Mm -hmm. Sussex into it and we're very lucky that we find in let's say between the years of 1500 to 1700 um, there were only 18 cases of witchcraft ever brought in the whole of Sussex mm. in two hundred years wow. and there's only three cases of the death sentence being passed mm. um, we have a lovely case in Rye mm. where a witch with a much we've tried to work out what a much is. we decided it was a sort of mm. straggly beard and mm. which she was tried for witchcraft found guilty and was taken to the outskirts of the town and said you've been found guilty witchcraft The district said, here is the border between Sussex and Kent. Uh, Stepped across here and go, now in Kent, don't re-enter Sussex. (laughs) She wasn't hanged. Uh, Now, uh, she'd been across the border in Essex. uh, She'd been hanged from the nearest tree. uh, uh, In one week, we found in Chelmsford, uh, in Essex, there was over, I think it was 28 witches hanged in one day. uh, 326 witches hanged in one week. uh, And over three thousand are waiting trial in Essex, Mm. whereas we think that is just in one month, etc., or one week in Essex, Mm. a short period of time. Mm. And yet, in two hundred years, in two hundred years in Sussex, we have only eighteen cases. Mm. And time and time again, we have found the witches taken to the borders and don't come back. Mm. Executions did not take Mm. place. It was again this is one of the reason i concentrate on sussex sussex was the last bastion of paganism to fall to christianity it was the last county to be christianized and even so not after the christians had set foot here they only the, the local people populace, only paid lip service to the christians and the old roots i mean in this example from Kingsfold to the Warham area, where witchcraft was very, very strongly entrenched, where all the local farms hid the witches and looked after them. Um, they never Matthew Hopkins and people like that never dared step foot in Sussex witch-finding crusades oh, yeah. they were hostile to the witch fighters so would you say that sussex is still a very important place? it is a very, very important place maybe. it's a hotbed to this day yeah there are covens from yeah. one end of sussex to the other yeah. and they are gray mm. we're coming back mm. <laughs> 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 so if, uh, finally well
1: uh, that was a, that's a good note actually to sort of um, uh, to sort of pass on but um um you're about to uh, tour america maybe.
2: that's correct mm. i mean what we call a sink for your supper job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't get paid for it, mm-hmm. but they pay your fare out there, you mm-hmm. pay rare fare, and they put you up and take you out i they're doing 11 lectures mm-hmm. over, over a 22 day period. Mm-hmm. Basically, the Americans want to know the old roots of witchcraft in this country, uh, and I find American witchcraft has strayed so very, very much from the traditional roots of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping very, very much to uh, go back and teach them some of their common ground. Right, right. And they're, they're very, very much looking forward to it, I mean. Mm. But the numbers of different covens, the sex and schisms that has been split into in America mm. is quite sad to a degree. Mm. Um, but it depends, again, whether you get into the Bible belts of America to other areas which are, you know, very, very easy going. At least one thing in America, um, witchcraft at uh, the Wicca has been recognized at, by the state as a religion. Mm. And that is something we still have to do. A Wiccan wedding, or hand fasting in America, is recognized as a valid wedding, as mm. a valid mar- marriage. Here, if we have a hand fasting, we still have to go to, uh, and get it at the registry office yeah. before it is recognized. Yeah. And that is still to come. Mm. It's one of the things we must strive for here, mm. for our religion to be recognized by the state. Mm. Okay, Ralph, on this um, beautiful
1: full moon night, um, I'd like to thank you for coming in to Radio 4A and uh, to, for this test card hour. You're very, very welcome, Adrian.
2: You know, any time, pick up okay, going good go with the third. Okay. to
1: You have been listening to Ralph Harvey, Britain's leading pagan exorcist on Radio 4A, 101.4 FM. Thank you and good night. You have been listening to the Time Travel Show on Radio on Berlin with Ralph Harvey and Adrian Shepard. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, we wish you a healthy and peaceful journey. Thank you for listening.
0: You have been listening to Radio on Berlin. Yeah!